Welcome to Asia Rising, a podcast from La Trobe Asia at La Trobe University. I'm your host, Matt Smith, and today, a podcast from Manila in the Philippines. When Rodrigo Duterte was elected to the office of president in 2016, one of his main election promises was to clean up the drug trade. He was quite open about how he was going to do it. The language he used was provocative and ruthless. Those involved in the drug trade would be dealt with using as much force as was necessary. The war against illegal drugs is far from over. Instead, it will be as relentless and chilling, if you will, as on the day it began. For those working in the Filipino media and covering these events, it can be a challenge to get accurate information. People are reluctant to talk, and the government wants to keep the full extent of the drug war away from the public. Which brings me to the guest of today's podcast. I'm Rambo Talabo. I'm a multimedia reporter for online news site Rappler based here in the Philippines. Rambo has been a reporter for The Rappler for the past five years, and in that time he has been involved in some of the publication's highest profile stories around the drug war. And did you always want to be a journalist? What sort of things did you want to work on? You're not reporting on K-pop and things like that? Or... <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> I did not plan on being a journalist. The usual career paths here in the Philippines is either you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah. You'd be uh, the pride of your community if you become a doctor or a lawyer. Mm. So I wanted to be a lawyer initially. And then midway through college, we elected President Rodrigo Duterte. Yeah. And at that time, I wanted to be more politically involved in the country. And I realized I had a knack for documenting what's happening outside our school institution. And that's when I decided I wanted to become a journalist. And I committed to it since then. Oh, okay. Okay. So it was a bit of political activism and almost civic duty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a political awakening because before Duterte, there weren't a lot of uh, youth, at least in... uh, my circle, there weren't a lot of youths, uh, people in the youth community yeah. who were really involved in our surroundings. We would just study, study, study because it was relatively a peaceful time. Our president was not that noisy, mm. Aquino. Mm. But under Duterte, we see headlines every day, bodies dropping here and there, people getting killed, our president swearing, even saying that he would like to kill drug suspects the same way that Hitler killed Jews. Mm. So it was alarming every day as a citizen and as a member of the young people in our university. That's yeah. why a lot of people really had political awakenings at that time. Not just me, but a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. A lot of your reporting has been on the drug war. So can you tell me about that specifically? Is it, is it something that you were drawn to that you felt that there wasn't a lot of uh, truth and knowledge coming out about that situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, when you're a reporter, you would think that the police beat is uh, beat for cub reporters, for younger reporters. And that's historically the practice for different news outlets all over the world. That's because you can learn the basics of reporting. Mm. That's the same here in the Philippines. It's a way for a journalist to be trained. But under President Duterte, the police beat, the drug war beat, became prime beat. It became a beat that was followed by everybody because it is equivalent to Duterte. The drug war is Duterte because Duterte's promise is to clear the streets of drugs and crime in six months, which he failed, by the way. Mm. Instead, he killed people here and there. His cops killed here and there. Manila, uh, Ilocos, even as south as Davao, his hometown, people were dying. And it's not a matter of just being drawn to it, but it's a matter of wanting to take part in telling such a huge story. Another context that we have to emphasize is that 
press freedom is not that strong in the Philippines. The press is not that strong. And you have here President Duterte attacking us left and right, not just Rappler, but our national newspaper, the Philippine Daily Inquirer, other TV networks, ABS-CBN, the largest media company was shut down because of Duterte. It was a project of wanting to tell the story to a people who don't know what's happening around them. People getting killed in their communities, and a lot of Filipinos actually would prefer not to look. Okay. They would rather look away. Mm. And for me, as a journalist, I think it's a part of my duty to tell the stories of the victims, even when people are not comfortable at looking at these victims, especially when the powerful refuse to acknowledge that people are getting killed. These are voters. These are members of their communities that are shot down by alleged policemen, by vigilantes. Mm. What's clear is that they're getting killed under their watch. Yeah, and we yeah. have to tell that story. You're still telling that story up to today, but it's more difficult now. Okay, okay. So can you tell me, uh, what is the situation that led to the drug war? Was there a big drug problem in the Philippines? And uh, how did Duterte say that he was going to address it? I'm just wondering how that unfolded. There is no question that there really was a drug problem here in the Philippines. I've been speaking with mayors, with policemen, even people in the communities who really say that Duterte would not win as president if his campaign promise did not resound to the population. And it was a resounding call. I will end drugs and crime in six months. Mm. I will kill pushers. And you have this history here in the Philippines where in communities are traumatized by seeing that there are drug users, drug addicts who commit acts of violence, who intimidate members of the community, where they don't feel safe going home at night, coming home, coming from school, coming from their workplaces. A lot of Filipinos go home late at night because they have late night jobs. And this is the night life, as in the night life, as in uh, people coming home at night. They know they are familiar with their communities having dangerous persons, and they usually attribute it to drugs. And here comes President Duterte promising them, you can finally come home safe. Mm. You don't have to worry about dirt. You don't have to worry about crimes in your community. I'm promising Singapore to you. I'm promising cleanliness and a community wherein you will feel that everybody trusts each other and feel safe. That's an appealing promise. That's very attractive. They were really prepared for Duterte to assume Malacanang. And a lot of Filipinos did not expect him to actually have the police kill so many people. Mm. But This is something that we just reflected on, I reflected on recently. Filipinos are comfortable and are all right with that trade-off. We will have safety. Mm. We will have a community where we will feel comfortable coming home without feeling threats from anybody in our community. And it's all right if these dangerous people or alleged dangerous people and even people who are innocent but falsely accused, they can be killed Mm. as long as I can come home safely. So what was the extent of it? You Mm -hmm. say that a lot of people were killed, but I I gather it was hard to get accurate numbers or estimates about those sort of things. But you can have a, a general idea of how extensive the drug war was. You know, even reporting on how many were killed Mm. is a difficult task. 
extremely difficult for journalists because the president himself ordered policemen not to share documents with reporters, not to share documents with human rights defenders, with activists, even non-government organizations who just want to understand what's happening and would recommend how to properly do it. Yeah, the president yeah. ordered the police stop sharing documents. Even the constitutionally mandated Commission on Human Rights could not get documents from the police. Mm. How crazy is that? And for journalists, how can we find out how many are getting killed? We only add up how many spot reports we get. Yeah. We only add up the number of killings that happens every day. It's manually counted by reporters, by journalists, by researchers in different newsrooms. We have different counts. And uh, there are even reports that actually try to... Uh, triangulate how many were killed based on the lack of reporting based on the numbers that different news outlets had but we still don't have a definite number mm. what we know is that it's by the thousands and i even released a report wherein the police were actually hiding at least two thousand killings they were not reporting two thousand killings to the public they were keeping the data to themselves that there were more than two thousand people who were killed in their drug war mm. they reported only seven thousand i was able to see that there were at least nine thousand killed in their records they were not ready to release that they were using every possible way to delay access to data and yeah. to information mm -hmm. those sort of numbers that you're getting how are they reporting those numbers then or getting away with not reporting the accurate numbers it's quite technical but simply put they put different layers mm. the police used to report these numbers daily weekly they gave the task to an office under the office of the president. So the data concerning crimes is being handled by the police, mm. but it has to get passed around different offices and ultimately has to land to this specific office under the president. I believe this is the Presidential Communications Operations Office, the PCOO. Okay, okay. So it's a different office and we have to get it there and the green light from the president. Mm. So it's tenuous to say mm. the least. Okay. Some of your recent reporting has been going into how the deaths are being misattributed. Mm. So somebody killed by the drug war is listed as natural causes. Can you talk me through that process? And is it a widespread kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Reporting points to a widespread modus operandi in the Philippines, wherein funeral parlors are faking the reasons, the causes of deaths mm. of drug suspects here. We've spoken to families and they told us that their loved ones were killed in by bust operations. They were killed by policemen. They were killed by drive-by shooters. And when they claim the body, their death certificates tell the story of being killed by pneumonia, by disease, yeah. but not by gunshot, mm. which is what they witnessed. They had to ask around, why was my loved one diagnosed of pneumonia when I did not know that they were actually suffering pneumonia? They were not suffering of any disease when we were together, when he was alive. But here comes the death certificate coming from the funeral parlor saying that they died of natural causes. So these families were clueless. What was happening? They were so confused. With that, they weren't able to get more aids from the government, they weren't able to get more help from people around them because they were not victims of uh, the drug war. They were just people who lost a loved one to natural causes. Okay. 
Okay, so there's a few things at work there. Yeah. But that as well would obscure the numbers that you're getting. Yes, it? that also obscures the numbers because mm. we don't know if the police adds up those killings to their national count. Mm. So has it been an effective drug war then? Is there less of a, a drug problem on the streets of Manila? If you speak with people in communities, they would say that they really feel the difference with President Duterte, that they feel safer. Mm. Again, it's a matter of having that trade-off to uh, present to a lot of people. They're willing to take on that trade-off. We would rather feel safe than have people in our communities causing chaos or making us feel threatened. But that's also at the cost of innocent lives. People who are just neighbors of these people who might actually be involved in drugs. This might just be men who looked a certain way. Their hair was unruly. They were darker skin as compared to others. They are poorer as compared to others. The victims are profiled. Most of these people who were killed are men from the poor communities, wherein their deaths wouldn't really have a resounding impact or a resounding cry mm. from the communities. Okay, okay. So what questions are you asking them when you're looking at the drug war right now? What sort of things would you like to find out about how the drug war is being managed mm. now? Things that I would like to find out about the drug war right now. At the current state, President Marcos, our new president, mm. said that he will continue the drug war. But there hasn't been a lot of reporting about how it has continued. There aren't as many killings as before. For sure, there are many killings that are, that are happening still all over the country. But to the extent that President Duterte ushered in killings, it's not the same. Or unless there's a story that would disprove this perception. Mm. I'm interested in how it has morphed under this presidency. And also another thing that I'm interested in following with in the more long term is the trauma that the drug war under President Duterte cost in our country. We are talking about thousands of lives here. We're talking about thousands of families, tens of thousands of children who lost their parents, yeah. their father, their brother. It's a trauma that we would have to deal with, I believe, in the decades to come. Yeah. And there needs to be more reporting about that. Is it the case that there will be a change on how the drug war has been managed under President Marcos because it's been a very popular drug war and if I remember correctly Duterte was even offered an, un, an ongoing position as a drug war czar if that's correct after he left office. I wasn't able to see that piece of news but I know that under this administration mm. President Marcos Jr. the son of the dictator Ferdinand Marcos really just committed that he would continue what Duterte was doing and I believe a crucial thing about Marcos too is that he will not participate in the International Criminal Court, which is currently investigating Duterte's drug war. Mm. And that's a big thing because Marcos is an ally of Duterte and he's not showing any signs of cooperating with the International Criminal Court to help them investigate what really happened in our country while Duterte was leading this bloody anti-drug campaign. Mm. Yeah, okay. It's been a very interesting dilemma in the international media, I think. Mm. There's been a lot of attention on the drug war and what happened here and what is still happening here. But at the same time, not a lot of belief that there will be any movement within the international courts to react to it. Mm, that's true, because it's the same for our country. Our courts aren't really seeing people getting tried. Policemen are not 
being uh, investigated well enough to prove that these things are happening. Yeah. There's only been one conviction. And that's only because the victim was lucky. Imagine lucky. I'm quoting that. Yeah. Quote, unquote. Qualifying yeah. that it's still miserable. That it has to take a CCTV camera rolling to prove that someone actually did something wrong. Mm. When there are hundreds, thousands of cases wherein witnesses and reporting shows that really a lot of these killings were committed by policemen in bad faith. Mm. So was there any particular event that exemplifies what happened during the drug war to you when you look back over your reporting and the, the things that you have found out? What stands out as, as something that's happened? There are so many killings. What's the one situation? I think because I was speaking to a local government employee the other day, and I was in this local government, Marikina. Mm. Marikina is a city here in Metro Manila. And there's this story of two friends, two best friends. And basketball is really popular here in the Philippines. So they were playing basketball one afternoon, and they were sweaty at the end of it. And they were walking home from the court in their community. And there's this policeman who was roaming around in his motorcycle. They don't know this policeman. He's new. And this policeman just stops them and calls them addicts. What are you doing out here? You addicts should go home. Mm. And they were both stunned because that's unheard of in this community in Marikina City. Nobody tells another person that you're a drug suspect. You're a drug addict. So these two boys panicked. But they eventually brushed it off. They rode their own motorcycle going home, and at an intersection, they saw this same policeman. This policeman saw them and pulled out a gun and shot one of these boys. Well, the other boy ran away. Yeah. The boy who was first shot lied down, but he was still alive. He pretended dead. While his best friend was running away, he heard the sound of slippers, and then a gunshot. His best friend was dead. He pretended to be killed. Mm. And this policeman did not realize that he was still alive. But then the community started encircling the crime scene. And the policeman was claiming that they both were drug suspects who tried to kill him. Mm. These two boys did not have any pistol with them, but... When this guy woke up, there was a pistol beside him. There was a pistol with the other guy, with his best friend. Right. And this policeman has not been convicted. Mm -hmm. It's been at least three years. And it happened. Yeah. And is that typical? I mean, I, I, I know you don't want a lot of those occurrences to happen, but... Yeah, it's kind of typical. Not the playing that part, but the yeah. witnessing of these crimes. Family seeing family members getting murdered in front of them mm. and then later seeing in police reports that oh my loved one actually was carrying a gun apparently mm. which they know is completely false and oh apparently there were drugs in our cabinets which is false mm. these are things that they know because they really live there and there are other people saying these things and they are known to be clean in their communities but it just so happened that oh there's this accusation from someone else in the community saying that this person was a drug suspect or a drug user and it changed their lives forever and it's just one case we yeah. have, we're talking about thousands of cases here mm. why is it hard to speak out it's because these policemen are also embedded in their community they can do it again and again. Mm. 
So you spoke uh, at the start of this interview about this is a challenging topic to report on. Uh, Not only do you have people who don't want you to get the correct information, Mm -hmm. but it's a topic that might be perceived as, as unpopular amongst the community as well. So can you tell me about that aspect of it? How has it been challenging to you as a journalist to report on this accurately? I believe the reporting when it comes to accuracy is not as hard as protecting the security of the sources. Yeah. Because these sources really trust you with their lives when they tell you their story. They trust you with their story. They trust you that you will not tell anybody who they are. You will not release a report that would show their faces, their names, because the policeman can be anywhere. Mm. We're living in a country where the president has said again and again that policemen can kill and they will have him just behind their back. The president will support the policemen. So speaking with these people, convincing them that their stories are important, that's the challenging part for me. And also a challenging part, of course, is giving justice to the story because it's such a thorny and difficult story to tell. Yeah. Is it something that you can see phasing out of your your reporting roles as the new presidency rolls on? Is it becoming a less busy beat to cover? Yeah, it has become a less busy beat to cover. Even before the latter half of the President Duterte's term, we were more focused on the elections, um, other issues. So uh, unfortunately, it's also a dying beat. But again, I wish we had more resources to spend on more reporters, on more reports, to follow up on what is the impact of the drug war? Because President Duterte just left, but there are still thousands of families mourning. There are still thousands of stories to be told about this complicated issue that has for sure scarred our country, if not the most vulnerable members of our society. And I know that not a lot of Filipinos care about these people who are suffering, but that's another thing that we have to emphasize is that what does that say about our country? Mm. If the majority of our population are okay with the killings that are happening in our streets. Mm. What does that say about us as a people? I believe the judgment will come, not now, but years ahead, decades ahead, even lifetimes ahead. That was Rambo Talabong, multimedia journalist at the online newspaper, The Rappler, in Manila, the Philippines. And you have been listening to Asia Rising, a podcast from La Trobe Asia at La Trobe University. If you'd like to follow Rambo on Twitter, he is at Rambo Reports, and Latrobe Asia is at Latrobe Asia. This podcast is produced at the Bandura campus of Latrobe University in Melbourne, Australia, on the traditional land of the Wurundjeri people. I'm Matt Smith, and thanks for listening.